welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Knight. And I'm Richard Nichols. And so the show, it is my favourite day. It is Data Day. And we have got new data out from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. We haven't actually done a Data Day in a while, so we've got about two months to catch up on. And do you know what? I always get into these Data Days. I think, God, what am I going to tell these people? You know, what more can I tell them that's happening in the New Zealand property market? And then I end up writing about 10 pages of notes to prepare for them. So there is a lot to go through. And I think there are some interesting things in here, but there's also some continuing themes that we've talked about that I want to recap because they are so important and they are different from some of the stuff that you'll naturally be reading online. But let's start with house prices. It's actually amazing, Andrew. In July, the month just gone, House prices, as measured by the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's HPI, the House Price Index, up an enormous 2.4% nationwide. Just for the month. For the month. That is crazy. That is what they were last year. You'll remember that I think there was a record in October, there was 3% in a single month, and there were multiple months that were just sitting around the 2% mark. So 2.4 annualised, if it was if it was completely straight line, it'd be almost 30%. That's crazy. It's a, it is a very, very quick growth. Now, just to put that into context, in June, the month before, it was up 1%. May, month before that, 0.9%. So house prices have risen, as measured by the Real Estate and Studio Zealand's House Price Index, 4.3%. And actually, let's not forget the fact that we're in the middle of winter as well, where historically we'd probably expect quite low growth. And I thought, well, that's probably true. The other interesting thing, Andrew, is that there were predictions after March, after the government came out with the new tax announcements, with predictions for both Treasury and the Reserve Bank that we expected house price growth to slow to, you know, kind of 0%, 0.9%. So very, very quickly, we thought that would come down. Now, that hasn't actually been the case. Now, this is somewhat slower when you take the quarter, you know, 4.3% over three months, it is slower than it had been last year. We're not in the big, frothy, bubbly times like we were in November last year, but it's still quick historically. So there are two things I want to point out. One, we are starting to see a slowdown. Now, what I mean by that is it is slower than it was before. We've gone from 100k an hour to 50k an hour. And you will read things online. I see it quite a lot from the CoreLogic guys talking about the fact that, hey, look, things have slowed down. Historically, they're still growing pretty quickly, which is just an amazing time to still own property. And so I am thinking that, hey, Tony Alexander's prediction, which I remember we talked about, he was suggesting that typically forecasts from Treasury and the Reserve Bank had been much more conservative than they were in practice, that they might predict that house prices might grow 2% and they'd really grow 4% or 6% in actual practice. And so I am thinking that those forecasts from the Treasury were probably too conservative, as we talked about on the show not that long ago. Other thing that I want to talk about, though, is distribution. Now, we've only talked about this once before on the show when we did the episode about where are all the cheap properties at. But I want to talk about it quite a bit more because some of you listeners of the show probably don't know this, but we've started a TikTok, <laughs> what I call a TikTok. How do many people know? Do you think everyone knows what a TikTok is, Ed? So it's like an app that the young people use these yeah. days. And me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the young people, mate. And what happens on there is you've got a whole heap of short videos. Now, anyway, we released a tick tick the other day talking about where the cheap properties are. So it was some wee snippets from that episode. I think it was 696. And what we were trying to get across in that show is, hey, 
The median house price might be, as it was this month, $826,000. But when you look at the price bands, so 100 to 200K, 200 to 300K, 300 to 400K, so on, so forth, all the way up to $2 million plus, you see the most activity between the six hundred to $699,000. What I mean by that is when you look at those different price spans, there is a significant number of properties, almost 12% of properties in New Zealand in the last month sold for between six hundred and six hundred ninety-nine k. So simply saying, hey, look, the average might be reasonably high, 826 k but that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of activity. There aren't a lot of houses being sold for significantly less than that. Well, actually, only about a third of the properties are between 500 and, and 800, capturing either side of that band as well. So, you know, amazing how that distribution clumps together. Well, even if you think about the median, Andrew, the median might be 826. What does that mean? It means that half of the houses in the country sold for less than 826K and half of them sold for more than that. So by definition, half of the houses are priced less than 826k or were sold for less than that in the last month. And the reason I wanted to bring this up again is I think it is a, a powerful thing to think about and it makes us think, God, we, we might need to go hunting to find some of those cheap properties if that's what you're after as a property purchaser. One of the things I wanted to mention now, you probably, why, why is he talking about the TikTok here? It's simply because I've been getting into TikTok fights. I haven't told you this, Andrew, what? yet. There are a lot of doomsdayers out there who basically... This sounds so bad, sorry team, but you know, just want to complain about everything. And the thing that I ended up saying to one of them, and I don't usually engage in social media fights, but I got riled up on this one. You can imagine it. At 11 p.m. at night, I'm getting riled up about what people are saying on the TikTok. But I said to one of them, look, if you don't start looking for solutions, you will never find them. And this was about trying to actively go out, find cheaper properties, looking further afield, live in it for six months, turn it into rental property after that, go back and rent where you actually want to live. And the thing is, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent here, but if you're struggling to get into the housing market, you do have to look at solutions and look at things more creatively because nobody's going to come in here and just half the house prices tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. So we've got to work with what we've got today. And the great thing that we have to work with today is there are still a significant number of properties selling in that cheaper or more affordable band, even though the median house price might be slightly higher. Other thing I want to talk about though, Andrew, is have investors left the market after the tax changes? This was a Big, big thing that people were talking about in the wake of March 24th when those announcements came out. And so I guess what we'd expect to see is if investors did leave the market and it made an exit, sold up all their rental properties, we would expect to see a lot of listings and we would expect to see a lot of sales because we're, you know, four or five months on. We are not seeing that at all. In fact, volumes are pretty flat. There were 7,817 properties sold in the month of July. That's down from the previous year, but of course there was quite a lot of property selling in July last year because we were coming out of COVID. But more or less, there are the same number of properties sold in July 2021 as there were in July 2016, five years ago. So we're not seeing a whole heap of properties coming to the market and actually selling because it looks like investors are holding on to them and it's pretty stable. It, does it show anything around people buying new builds as well? Would this show that kind of data at the moment? It would because show, they haven't settled, they wouldn't be recorded, right? Well, actually, that is the issue when it comes down to, I've actually had to ask clarification yep. for this. This is a bit of a nerdy point, team, from Ryan's because the thing about recording sales and specifically with new builds is two things. Ryan's usually will record things 
not at settlement like councils will, but they will record them once there is an unconditional contract. Now, the reason for that is that Ryan's gets all of their data straight from the real estate agents. Now, the benefit of that is they see when contracts go unconditional because they then register that sale with Ryan's. So if there's a real estate agent out there selling new builds, yes, they would be recorded in here. What's the issue with that? There are a number of developers out there who are selling through their own sales I'd teams. I'd say the vast majority of them, actually. So any of the properties that investors are purchasing through Opus Partners would be recorded in here because we are under the REA. But if there's a sale from the likes of Williams Corporation or Wolfbrook or any of the others out there at Duval, any of them who are out there doing private sales, because if you're selling your own properties, you don't need a real estate agent. So those wouldn't be recorded in here because they're not sold through a real estate so agent. they would actually likely skew the numbers quite significantly, actually, if you had those in, given that there's quite a high volume of new builds being sold at the moment with the tax changes and also at probably quite high rates as well. Yes, but I suppose just answering the question that I was trying to get, which is, are investors selling their existing properties and exiting the market? We're not seeing that. Are we seeing more people buy because they want that new build? I guess we can't say whether we've got the data on that, but we know it's probably true because we're actually active in the market. And actually, if you're listening, I have sent in a request as well to the guys at Core Logic, Nick Goodall. I to, love how you just give them your private messages on here now. Uh, no, no, no. It's because I know Nick listens to the show, and at the time of recording, he hasn't got back to me yet. So uh, he's such a nice guy, by the way. This isn't a beat up on it. But Nick, if you're listening, please send me the data because I'd really like to see it. I'll pay you good money for it. But I guess the big spiel from that is that we're not seeing a lot of investors selling up. Now, that plays into the next point, and this is something we've been going on about for a wee while as well. The national stock, the number of listings out there is again at a record low, at a 17-year low. In fact, there are only 12,684 properties that are currently listed on realestate.co.nz. That is down 35% from the same time last year. And if I was to just describe the graph that I've got in front of you, from about February 2008 to today, it's basically just a straight line down. Fewer and fewer properties listed on the market. Now, why is that? Properties getting snapped up relatively quickly. That's one part of it. The other part is people just aren't listing their properties. And we actually got into a bit of an argument with one of your friends, Andrew, where I think we'd posted something on Instagram. God, we're talking about all of our, our social media today, where we were talking about the lack of listings and the fact that there aren't properties on the market is what, in a large part, causes an increase in house prices. And do you remember what they were saying? I think it was Craig. I was it? Oh, Craig Richard. Oh, yeah, Craig Richard. Because I got a bit in my bonnet about you it. You were in a bit of a bad mood anyway. You developed the sniffles and then I showed you this and you snatched my phone off me to respond. I think I did respond, actually. I you grabbed did. your phone, I texted him back. Did he even come back to you? Yeah, but I, I didn't show you that one. And I guess what we were trying to get across in that one was that there is a difference between a lack of supply of houses, i.e. we don't have enough houses within New Zealand, and those houses that we have aren't on the market. Those are two very different things. Not having enough houses in total means that we see overcrowding, it means that we see a level of hopelessness and it means that we see potentially rents relatively high. The fact that we see not enough properties on the market being listed means we see that tightness in prices. We see those prices increasing because you've got buyers but not enough properties being listed for them to pick up. Now, one of the questions that I have for you, Andrew, actually, is could the Brightline test 
lead to higher house prices because people aren't incentivized to sell their properties. Yeah, well, I've been thinking that, uh, you know, if you're an investor and, and originally you were thinking, hey, this might be a five to seven year plan for me. As we know from stats, people tend to sell their house, whether it's investment or an occupier, within seven years. Now people are probably going to hold on to that property for longer so that they can avoid having that taxable situation. And so maybe there's an extra, you know, 40% of time that people hold a property and push the price up. And I definitely think that if you're going to go and buy a property, it means you have to hold it. Well, you don't have to hold it for 10 years, but you're incentivized to hold it for longer than that. And so what that leads to is a less dynamic property market where people aren't as willing to bring those properties to market and sell it. Now, the unintended consequence of that is you will see naturally fewer listings on the market. Now, if you've got a growing population with people who are out there wanting to purchase properties and you don't have the supply of listings, then hey, we can potentially see that, you know, a government policy leading to higher house prices. Other thing that's interesting is how does these listing numbers play into which areas of New Zealand are increasing in value right now? Because they play somewhat into one another. So for instance, the only region in New Zealand that has seen an increase in listings is the wider upper, which had an increase of about 40% of listings over the last month. This is compared to uh, quite this a big month. Number. What's the actual number attached to that? 97 properties. It's not a lot of properties, to be oh. fair. We're talking about a small number, but you've also got a small pool of buyers there. Okay, so actually, there are two of them. Gisborne and the wider upper have seen increases in the number of listings on the market compared to the same time last year. Those two regions are also the regions that have seen the lowest house price growth over that time. So for Gisborne, we've seen housing stock up 20%. The asking price year on year, as measured from realestate.co.nz, is down 9%. The wider upper, housing stock is up about 13 odd percent to 40 percent depending on which numbers you use the asking price there is down 2.2 percent so we are seeing some correlation between those two interesting to see as well there are some areas of New Zealand that are still increasing in price at a rapid clip and the fastest growing city over the last month was New Plymouth with wait for it six percent growth in a single month as measured by the HPI Nelson slowest growing down 0.3 percent in a that's single interesting. month so that's actually slowed down quite a lot so that one's gone backwards and look it's quite funny because depending on whose podcast you listen to you will hear different numbers and that's just because different data providers are collecting different amounts of data and crunching it in slightly different ways. The Ryan's House Price Index is a monthly measure. The CoreLogic one is a, is a quarterly measure. So a three-month rolling measure. And the different ways that that data is crunched will be that some will move more quickly or be more sporadic than others. And that's just the nature of it. So the fact that we've seen 6% in New Plymouth this month does not necessarily mean that we're going to see an enormous number next month as well because these numbers do move around a bit. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people and hey make sure you check out the deal we have just released another episode where we've got somebody in from Palmerston North to present some properties in Little Old Foxton population 3000 that released just on Wednesday so go check it out at thedeal.co listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.